this is an eternal statement. One that was true for them and one that is true for every one of us in this room, whether in this room or that room or watching this week on the internet. It's a statement for every single one of us to allow to come into our ears and to penetrate our hearts. Unless one is born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Have you ever had to have a critical conversation with someone? Maybe that critical conversation would be a conversation about ending a relationship, talking to a coworker that behaves inappropriately, offensively. Maybe that critical conversation would be one of asking a friend to repay a loan that they have failed to uh, pay. Maybe it's a conversation about giving the boss feedback about their behavior. Maybe it's about approaching a boss who is breaking his own policies. Critiquing a colleague's work. All of these are critical conversations. Maybe it's asking a roommate to to move out because of inappropriate behavior. Resolving a custody or visitation issue with an ex-spouse. Dealing with a rebellious teen. Talking to a member who isn't keeping their commitments. Discussing problems with sexual intimacy in the marriage with someone you love. Confronting a loved one about a substance abuse problem. Maybe it's a critical conversation about asking the in-laws to quit interfering in the marriage. Maybe the critical conversation is talking about something that is extremely difficult. And if you've ever had to encounter one of these critical conversations, boy, what a doozy they can be. There are a few things that we can look at when we deal with critical conversations. There's only a few ways in which we can handle them, really. First, we can avoid them, (laughs) right? I mean, that's, that's typically our answer to the problem is to avoid it, right? Because we don't want to offend anybody. We, we don't want to upset anybody. And so the, the way that most of us handle critical conversation is we just don't have them. The other way is to face them and to face them poorly. Maybe not even on purpose. And the last way is to handle them and handle them well. Uh, to address the issue, to have the critical conversation, do it in a way that would honor God. And so we have to ask ourselves this question for ourselves this morning and allow it to filter our minds and penetrate our hearts. And the question is this, do we avoid critical conversations? Uh, Do we have them and handle them poorly? Or do we have them and handle them well? But contextually speaking, uh, as we look at our verses that we're looking at today, let's, let's ask that question in context. 
Because really, that's what I want to drive home today, and that is, how do we deal with the critical conversation about salvation? About eternal life. While all of these critical conversations that I listed, uh, in one way, shape, or form, should have pinged off in your head going, yeah, I've been there, done that. But there is no more critical conversation than the one about salvation. And what we're about to see today in chapter 3 of John is a critical conversation that Jesus has with a Pharisee. And we can learn a lot here from both Jesus and the Pharisee. And so without delay, let's jump into our text this morning. John 3, 1 to 21. I'm not going to reread it because it's a large portion, but I will reread it at each of my points and then transition all the way through the passage of Scripture to 21. So a few things that I want us to gather from our text today. Three things, three points that I want you leaving understanding. And that is first, we must not avoid the critical conversation. Secondly, we must not abuse the critical conversation. And thirdly, we must not adjust the critical conversation. So let me explain what I mean. First, we must not avoid the critical conversation. The text says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Would you all not agree that this conversation that is about to unfold with Nicodemus, that he's about to start having with Jesus, is a critical conversation? Well, yes, it is. I mean, this Pharisee is a strong religious leader. Uh, The name Pharisee derives from the Hebrew root word that means to separate. These Pharisees were what you could call separatists. They separated themselves from all uh, uh, of the people around them because they were the righteous ones. And they didn't want to be impacted by the culture in which they lived. These Pharisees adhered to extra-biblical traditions, many of which called upon the Jews to be rigorous about eating, about tithing, about ritual purity. And possibly these were ways to translate the holiness required at the temple in which the presence of God dwelt. So what we looked at last week is they cleansed the temple because there had been immorality that stepped in. But even so, this man, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, the ruler of the Jews, I want you to notice, does not avoid a critical conversation. And when he approaches Christ by night, which does not tell us anything other than he has approached him by night, um, there's a lot of teaching on this that can fancify preaching, but in reality, we can't be dogmatic of the reason why Nicodemus approached him by night. Maybe he was on his way home from the office. I don't know. The text doesn't tell me. It just says he approached him by night. But notice what he says. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God... As a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Here, he addresses him as teacher. 
as rabbi. And shall I remind you that Nicodemus is the teacher of teachers. We see that, as we will see in verse 10, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? This is a teacher of teachers. He is the teacher of Israel. And he does not fall short. He does not avoid this critical conversation with Jesus. He is now standing and he's talking with Jesus, whom is also considered a teacher. Seems here that maybe the rabbi has been sent, or the Pharisee has been sent by the group of Pharisees because the text says, we know that you come from God as a teacher. But in reality, it doesn't matter who drives Nicodemus to meet and to have this discussion with Christ. The fact is, is he does not avoid this critical conversation. Listen, maybe you're here today because someone has invited you. Maybe you're here today because your mom made you come. Maybe you're here because your dad made you come. You really had no desire to come, but you're here. Maybe your family was coming and you want to support them. Whatever the case is, here, you're here. Like Nicodemus. And there's a need, there's a, a, a great need for you to not avoid the critical conversation about salvation. And so I hope that as we talk through this, you won't avoid the question in your heart, am I truly born again? They notice something different about Christ as, they, as Nicodemus approaches him. They tell him, we know that you're something different because no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And so let's talk. Sometimes your actions, your faith in Christ, your living out the gospel draws people to a critical conversation about God. And so what we must live in a way, in a, in, in a, in a, in a lifestyle that honors God because that lifestyle may draw men to yourself or women to yourself because of the life you live. That's what these men drew themselves to Christ because he was doing great and mighty works. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus in a way one might not expect. It's interesting as you look at this because here Nicodemus comes and makes a statement and I love Jesus and the way he responds in verse 3 says, Jesus answered them and say, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that have anything to do with what Nicodemus was just talking about? I can only assume here, listen, that Jesus Christ knows the heart of Nicodemus. Because his response to Nicodemus, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't try to create some rift. He goes straight to the point because he knows the heart of this man. Rabbi, we know you've come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, formally speaking, Nicodemus does not yet ask anything. 
Though he, the, the implied question seems to be something like, who are you then? We know you are a teacher from God because you've shown so many great signs and wonders and miracles, but who are you? Are you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? Jesus reads right through the smokescreen. Remember in John 2, 24 to 25, we see that. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, right? For he himself knew what was in man. Listen, Nicodemus didn't avoid the critical conversation that needed to take place. He wanted to know who Jesus was. You remember when you wanted to know more about Jesus? Who is this man that these people say is the Savior of the world? Do you remember the days before Christ? Before you placed your faith in Jesus, do you remember the talk? The confusion, right? The difference between Nicodemus and Jesus, the distinction between these teachers is that Jesus goes right to the heart of the problem. He doesn't beat around the bush, he, but rather he goes straight to the point. Jesus has one purpose, one purpose, and that's to preach the kingdom of God. In Luke, I, I had an opportunity to speak at a men's uh, gathering the other day. And I, and I taught on Luke chapter 5. And one thing I learned in Luke chapter 4 was the purpose of Jesus. People are crowding around, right? He's doing all these miracles. And like people are pressing in on him. And they, they don't want him to leave. a matter of fact... The day came when Jesus left and went to a scheduled place. And the text says in 4, 41 to 43, the crowds were searching for him and, and came to him and tried to keep him from going away. They didn't want him to go and to leave. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus has a purpose, and it's to preach the kingdom of God. And one of the greatest encouragements that we should see is that Jesus does not avoid the critical conversation with Nicodemus. He shoots straight to the problem. And the problem is this man's not a believer. This man has never been regenerated in his heart. He's not a true believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Meaning... It was true for this Pharisee. It's an internal statement. Unless one is born again, Jesus says, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is an eternal statement. One that was true for them and one that is true for every one of us in this room, whether in this room or that room or watching this week on the internet. It's a statement for every single one of us to allow to come into our ears and to penetrate our hearts. Unless one is born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. 
But no, Jesus wants each one of us to see and to enter and to have the kingdom of God as their home. But you must be born again. There in the upper room discourse, we are told that the kingdom of God, heaven is a promised place. It's a prepared place, but it's a private place. He says, I go and and prepare a place for you, right? Heaven is a place that's been prepared for every single one of us, right? I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he promises I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And I like old Thomas. And you know the way I'm going, Jesus says. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus says, heaven's a private place. Not only a promise and prepared, but a private. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Listen, if we are going to inherit the kingdom of God, if we're going to see the kingdom of God, Jesus here, straight to the punch, tells you, tells Nicodemus, tells me, we must be born again. Nicodemus is a little confused. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a little confused. You don't understand it. It's legitimate. If you don't understand it, you don't understand it. That's okay. Right? And so Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Can he? Question mark. So we have the question from Nicodemus. The first question now comes from Nicodemus. Listen, it's vital that we must understand that we are not to avoid the critical conversation. That's the first point. But the second point is that we must not abuse the critical conversation. Jesus does not mislead this man. He does not abuse his power, his authority. Rather, he speaks straight to the point. There is a temptation in all critical conversations, whether it be about salvation or about business or about family or about sexuality or about marriage, there is always the temptation in a critical conversation to alter the truth. Right? To side skirt just a little bit so it won't be as offensive. To gain peace. To obtain favor. And maybe even gain ground. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus does not abuse the critical conversation. He doesn't manipulate this man. He doesn't create some works-based salvation method. Because Jesus knows that to not be true. A matter of fact, flip over, if you will, to Romans 3. I'm reminded of this. Romans 3 Uh, Verse 19 to 28. See if I can find it here. Romans 3, 19 to 28 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under it. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Let me translate that into modern day English. No good works will get you to heaven. 
And for some of you, that ought to be like this. Because you've been working. You've been trying. You've been doing everything in your power to please God. Listen, nothing you can do can please God enough to let you in the kingdom of God. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law. Because by works, no law, uh, no works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For though the law comes, the knowledge of sin. The law, the, the law was given to reveal to us our need for Jesus. And in Galatians 2.20, he says, if we could be saved by keeping the law, if we could be saved by doing good deeds, then Christ, it says, died needlessly. So Jesus doesn't abuse the critical conversation and try to manipulate this man or alter it. He doesn't make it more palatable, right? We need not to either. To abuse the unadulterated gospel message. I love Jesus' response when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Two births, neither of which you can control. Neither. You don't get to choose to whom you are born to. Right? When you are born, you don't get to choose who or how you're born? It could be in the car. Could be in the jungle. Could be in the airport. Could be in the hospital with an epidural. You don't get to choose where you're born. And this is Jesus' point. This is Jesus, what he's trying to communicate to this worker of the law, right? This Pharisee, a teacher of teachers who, must I say, has taught the doctrine of demons from day one because his teaching has been that in order to get to the kingdom of God, you must do A, B, C, D, F, G, H, N, C, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Right? That's not Jesus' point here. He said, no, 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 no. Unless you're born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. I know, Nicodemus, you're a good, law-abiding teacher of teachers. But even, brother, in your best abilities, even in your greatest efforts, even in all of your narrow ways, you can't save yourself. Just like you can't choose to be born of water of the womb, so you cannot, by your own efforts, be born from above. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. Now, there are several views as to what water refers to. And listen, they go as deep as you want to, and they get as creative as you want to. I personally hold to the position here that born of the water and, the, and of the Spirit similarly refers to two births, one natural and one spiritual. Both are out of our control. Jesus does not abuse this critical conversation. He is making it clear that it is out of the hands of man. 
You cannot save yourself. Nicodemus cannot save himself. No one in this room is able to save themselves. I'm not a Calvinist. I believe in the free will of man. But salvation is of the Lord. Because no man comes to the Father unless he is first drawn. Salvation is dependent upon God. Not your efforts. Not your good deeds. Not your ability to get to the kingdom of God. And God goes, let's see what outweighs what. The scale, you know, good outweigh the bad. Pump. You're in. Good. Pump. You're out. See a ding. Down the slide you go to hell. Right? Doesn't work that way. Salvation isn't some walk the aisle formula. Salvation isn't some pray this prayer formula. That, that the culture has driven. Now, I'm not against walking in an aisle, and I'm not against praying a prayer, but if I do my job, I better make it clear that walking this aisle doesn't save a soul. Only God can. I'm all about praying a prayer with you. But if that prayer does not reflect the desire of your heart, there is no change that can take place. Because salvation is of God, not of man. Nicodemus couldn't have grasped and would have most likely or could have grasped and would have most likely could have understood this figuratively. If there's another view of water and of baptism, it would be this. And I'm, I'm going to give you this because I feel like uh, I want you to determine for yourself what the text means. If I were to say I could take this figuratively, speaking of water and spirit, I would hold to the idea in Ezekiel chapter 36, because Nicodemus was a studier of the law, he, he would have known the Old Testament, where water and spirit come together so forcefully, the first to signify the cleansing from impurity. See, I can get to the same theory through this way, because it's not baptism, Right? That, there's a lot of your churches that teach baptism saves. We know that doesn't work because the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. And Paul said, I did not come to baptize, but to what? Preach the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he says the gospel is what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you need a little bit more truth that is not baptism, when Jesus was on, or uh, uh, Paul was, or Saul was on the road to Damascus, when he changed to Paul, God said, I have appeared to you, appoint you my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience and about other times I'll appear to you. And I will protect you from your own people. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from dark to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they can receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by what? Baptism? No. Faith in me. You're not saved by baptism. Baptismal regeneration is a heresy. It's a false teaching. You're saved by grace through faith in the one who is able, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect, spotless, sinless life, right? And was hung on a cross at Calvary and was buried, and three days later rose again from the grave, and ascended up to the right hand of the Father, where there He is interceding on our behalf. When we don't know how to pray, He's praying for us. Oh, what a great blessing to think about that. But it's not speaking of baptism. Contextually speaking, I find... The most common understanding is the idea that water and spirit refers to two births. One natural and the other supernatural. It fits in the context. 
Nicodemus has just asked the question, how is it that we can be aborted? Can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Right? Contextually, it fits. And good interpretation is the most simple translation of what we see from the text. He is answering back to the question that Nicodemus has asked at this point. The only question is he asked, which has to do with natural birth. Now, Jesus hits the nail on the head with the impossibility of personally being able to save yourself or birth yourself because the reality is it's impossible in your own strength. And this response from this, what I like to call, mind-to-mind conversation that Jesus is having in this critical conversation seems to fit. And when Jesus says, confirming once again the work of God in salvation, he says here in verse 7, Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. I would assume that Nicodemus at this point has had a face like this. <laughs> right? Or maybe like this. I thought when I saw this, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> the reality, he confused. He says, how can these things be? He's amazed. He's amazed. He has just been told that everything he has done, listen, has been in vain. That is a great thing, right? He does not avoid the critical conversation. He does not abuse the critical conversation. He goes straight to the punch and he tells them his problem is that everything he's done that he thinks will save him is in vain. And I'm telling you this morning, everything you've done, if you're dependent upon that for salvation, is in vain. Christ alone will save you. Lest Christ died needlessly. If you could do it, then Jesus didn't need to go to the cross. He didn't be good enough. But that's not what happened. Jesus sacrificed on the cross. We've just been told that everything... He's done is done in vain. This evil false teacher has been teaching again the doctrine of hell. And its truth has been revealed from him who grants salvation. God in flesh. So we must not first avoid the critical conversation. We need to seek out this truth. Right? If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, seek it out. Don't avoid it. Talk with somebody. Let's discuss it. Like Nicodemus. Secondly, we must not abuse their critical conversation by mishandling his truth, offering something other than what Jesus offers, which is salvation by grace through faith of God. And thirdly, we must not adjust the critical conversation. This is what this false teacher had done for years. Nicodemus had for years taught others that they were that there were conditions right for obtaining entrance into the kingdom of God there were there were things that needed to be done foods that couldn't be ate traditions that had to be done celebrations that must be taken place no work on the sabbath like you can't take too many steps on sunday boy we'd be in trouble today the reality is these things were not true 
These were not true. He had taught these things in these conditions and conditions in terms of obedience to God's command as devotion to God. But there he is facing a condition that he has never heard expressed. The absolute requirement of birth from above, not based upon his own efforts. Listen, we can't adjust this critical conversation, the gospel conversation. We can't make it what it isn't so that we can feel good about praying a prayer with someone. Listen, I've met with people in my office and I've shared the gospel and they've gotten it all right. They're going to know the right answers. And when we get to the end and I ask them, so if you were to die today or Christ were to come back, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? They said, well, I'm 75% sure. And they don't understand the gospel. The whole book of John was written, why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. You better bet if Stuart Guthrie would have died today or Christ would have come. I'm 100% sure that I'm going to heaven. Why? Not because, not because I'm a great preacher of the word and, and less sinful, right? Because I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith in him who is perfect and sinless. He paid for my debt and I place completely 100% my faith in Jesus Christ. So when I die and God says, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, God, you shouldn't. But, but, because your word says that whoever believes upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. So where's Jesus? Because he is my salvation and my hope and my peace and my joy. We can't adjust the gospel. Jesus is about to close this project out with a clear picture of the gospel that I believe leaves this man speechless because he does not speak another word throughout the entire passage. We don't know if he's saved here. The passage doesn't say he's saved. But I was looking at some crayon pictures to, uh, you know, to give to the kids. My son preached through, let him color Nicodemus. But every one of them says that Nicodemus is reborn. Oh, really? Show me where he's reborn. I mean, how can you gain that? Now we know that in chapter 19, right? He brings 75, I think, pounds of myrrh to Christ. So it seems like there's a rebirth, but not here. He's only planting a seed. And your job and my job is not to see conversion take place, but to preach the gospel, plant the seed, some water, some plant, but it's who that does the growing? Who that does the growing? God does the growing. So he says, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Listen, the gospel's simple. Men like to complicate it. A child can understand the gospel. Men like to reject the pure, unadulterated gospel. We speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. You, Nicodemus, come from them, as you said, we know you are, uh, we know you're of God. But y'all, he says, do not accept our testimony. 
I love the plurality used here. It, it may be a great picture of the deity of Christ. Right? Let me look at it. Let's find it here. Yeah, I got them underlined in my Bible. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen and you do not accept our testimony. Now, he could be speaking of those in which are the followers of Christ, but the reality is we're not to complicate the gospel. We're simply to preach the truth, to give the testimony. And though they may not receive it, that's not our problem. Birth eternally is from above, from God. Jesus doesn't adjust the critical conversation to win this man over, but simply plants a seed of truth. Isn't that amazing? Like how, if, if Jesus is willing to simply plant and walk away from this man, right? How much more should we be willing to share the love of Jesus with somebody and be okay if they decide that they don't want to take it? It's okay. We should just simply share. Plant the seed. We need to remember that as we share Christ, we keep it pure, we don't adjust it, we trust God to save because this is the critical conversation. Salvation is of God. If I told you, he says, of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Listen, you are not saved by the information you get, but transformation from above. Now, we are required to share the gospel because salvation, right, comes from the word of God, right? Salvation comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, the text says. And if anyone has authority to speak on it on this topic, it's Christ. Because he says in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's what we're looking at here. Jesus is revealing his deity. He is the Son of God from on above. And he reminds this teacher from old who he is when he points us and Nicodemus to Numbers 21. In verse 14, he says, as, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Jesus is on track. He doesn't adjust the critical conversation. He points Nicodemus to himself. It's interesting when you think about it. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that in numbers, what he would know is him, Christ, who will be lifted up on the cross at Calvary and to whom all will look upon Jesus Christ at Calvary shall be saved. He's on point. Can I ask you this morning, have you looked to Christ for your salvation? Have you believed? Have you looked to Christ for your eternal security for salvation? Because for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God, it says in verse 17, did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He is either your judge or your savior, but God sent him to be your savior. But because you reject, he's going to be your judge. Don't hesitate. 
He who believes in him is not judged. But whoever does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. The rock. This rocks this teacher's world. And I can honestly pray that he rocks your world today. That he will plant the seed of salvation in your life. And that you will be saved. He came to save you. He didn't come to judge you. But he will judge you. Because he's coming. And as one preacher said, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is Jesus is here. The bad news is Jesus is here. It just depends on which side of the line you're on. That's a reality. 19 says this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. My prayer for you this morning is I'd rather have your deeds exposed here than unexposed and you spend eternity separated from an almighty, loving, compassionate, gracious God that has paid your way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Are you wrought in God? Are you found in Christ? Can you honestly say this morning, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Stop loving the darkness. Stop loving the world. It offers you everything, but leaves you, as a buddy of mine, one of my elders in Montana when I was preaching there, he said, this, it's like light beer. Tastes great, but less filling. That, that's what salvation of the world offers you. Something that tastes great, but it has no filling. Now, I'm not a beer drinker, so don't take that as I like beer, okay? It's just an illustration. Don't crucify me. Stop loving the darkness more than the light because it will not fill you, it will not give you joy, it will not give you peace because until you experience the peace of God, you'll never experience true, genuine peace in this world. One day you will step into eternity. This man will too, Nicodemus. He already has. And breathe your last breath on this side of what I like to call ability. You have breath in your lungs. The ability to pray and ask God to forgive you, to trust in Jesus. And this morning, I pray that you will not avoid the critical conversation, both sides to receive it and to offer it. I pray that you will not abuse the critical conversation, that you will not handle it poorly, and that you will not adjust the critical conversation, but that you will handle it well by pointing to the people by pointing people to the Savior. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, 
Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.